Crack that coconut. Who wants to open up? Welcome back to Crack That Coconut, the podcast that is cracking the mental health stigma one story at a time. I'm really excited to kick off the new year with a slightly different episode. So today we have Chesky coming back from episode two to interview me about my mental health journey, uh, which led me to starting Crack That Coconut. And so you've heard snippets throughout the podcast about my mental health journey Um, But really, the catalyst for starting Crack That Coconut was when I faced up to my struggles with an eating disorder and anxiety. Um, And this started a journey of reconnecting with myself, gaining awareness of my mental health, and learning to love my body. Um, And another big learning out of this was the importance of opening up about our experiences. And so... Our experiences are often shared and um, we shouldn't have to go through these alone and reach a breaking point um, in order to get the support that we need. So that's why I really started Crack That Coconut because I think, you know, more of us need to have these conversations to understand that these are, you know, shared experiences and and we're not not in it alone. Um, And so the focus of this episode is learning to love my body. And I do want to warn you that this episode might be a bit triggering, especially if you've suffered from an eating disorder like me. So please only listen if you're comfortable hearing this. Otherwise, I'm totally fine for you to, um, <laughs> to stop listening now. Um, but anyway, for those of you who are going to listen, um, I hope you really enjoy the episode. And yeah, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who's been following the show. Um, it's sort of crazy that uh, four months ago when I started this, um, I couldn't even really speak about my eating disorder in an explicit way. And now I have the confidence to um, to do this episode, to open up a bit more about it. And, um, and yeah, it was a bit nerve-wracking, but I think um, all the support that I've gotten and love from, from the podcast has given me the confidence to do it. So I want to say thank you. And yeah, if you've got any feedback or um, want to be a guest on the show, please reach out. Um, just DM me on Instagram at crackthatcoconut. And don't forget about our conversational card game. If you want to open up more meaningful conversations with friends and family, that's available via Instagram or our website. So without further ado, I'll let Chesky kick off. And yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. All right, welcome to Crack That Coconut. My name is Chesk Walker, and you might remember me from episode two. And today I actually have the honor of interviewing Crack That Coconut's creator, Juliet. Hello. Hello. Thank you for switching seats with me. No worries. Very exciting because it's a first in real life interview as well. Yes, I know. Very excited. So that's very cool. Um, Thank you for asking me to do this. I guess to start, to kind of explain you a little bit more, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your history and your bio? Yeah. What comes to mind? Yeah, so I I grew up in Sydney, um, been here all my life. I went to Canberra for university where I studied um, science and law because I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so Mm -hmm. I kept my net pretty wide. 
Um, and then I ended up in management consulting, which I sort of did for a couple of years. Um, but last year I was having a bit of a not, <laughs> what's the right word for it? Um, having, I, I decided to take some time to kind of step back yeah. and reevaluate what I wanted to do, uh, which we'll probably get into mm-hmm. later. Um, but yeah, so then I left consulting and about six months ago, I joined um, a startup called Harvest Bee, where I work as a product manager. Mm-hmm. And four months ago, I started Crack That Coconut with my first interview with Zara, which was, I think, in August 21. Yeah, we're in 22. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> just like every year blends into another. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's sort of a bit about me. I like the outdoors, I like being social, mm-hmm. and I really care about mental health, which is why I started, yeah, sort of why Amazing. I started Crack That Coconut. Anywhere kind of within that journey, can you pinpoint moments of mental health or anything that might have been behind the catalyst of starting the podcast yeah definitely I think so human behavior is something I've, I've been interested in for um for a long time I remember when I was young sort of reading books about it and really keen like had a real curiosity to understand why why we act the way we act and like how our brain works and I think uh, that sort of interest has always been there but I wasn't really, you know, as a kid, very aware of my feelings and never really understood what it was like to be anxious. Like I had a lot of friends who would say that they experienced anxiety and I personally just, I I hadn't ever experienced it. So um, I couldn't quite understand exactly like what they were going through. Mm. So it wasn't until... um, yeah, I think I, I took an interest in mental health because um, when I started, um, I think when I started getting a bit sick mm-hmm. because I got into like meditation as a way to, I actually sort of fell into meditation because of um, trouble sleeping, mm-hmm. but it probably is indicative of like how much stress I was carrying around in my body that I was just yeah. so unaware of that I would just never be able to switch off before I went to sleep. Um and so I think, yeah, the meditation got me into an understanding of what it is, feel, what it is to feel anxiety and mm-hmm. what it is to feel stress and how it's all related to mental health and how, like, your mental health is as important to look after as your physical health. But all during that time, and this is sort of in my last year of uni, I was going through the sort of beginning of an eating disorder. And it's sort of weird that, like, the timing that Mm. that they both happened around the same time but I think it was probably me trying like subconsciously to understand like sort of what was going on and to like yeah to get help in a way that to understand the help that I might have needed um but you know on the surface I I was saying I was you know cared about well-being and you know, with consulting, I've like led a lot of initiatives like to try and encourage work-life balance and, and things like that. But at the same time, I was <laughs> not eating and really having a tough time with my own mental health and not really aware of the extent of it. So I think it's been there for probably a while, but long suppressed yeah. for reasons that we can go into 
later in the podcast. But yeah, I think the real trigger was like when COVID happened and I had just been working like, you know, burning both ends Mm. of the stick and COVID happened and I was all of a sudden sort of at home. I wasn't commuting to Brisbane every week. Like I was at home just in front of the computer and like, I think that's when my body just kind of collapsed. It was mm. just like, we can't keep running like this, yeah. like on no food, on no sleep, like on no energy and just at a like super high stress level. And that's when I think I really started to realise that like this wasn't just about like being underweight. This was yeah. a bigger a bigger issue. It is. I always think it's so interesting how the body can often manifest things that you aren't aware of before you become aware of it like so many times I think I'll be fine but I'm not sleeping or Mm. I don't know if your period's late or whatever it is Mm. or your anxiety is sparking if it is something that you do suffer from and I remember you know we even discussed it I would think I would find and then I would have a panic attack and but I think the hard thing is within our culture, especially at the moment, is that we're in this go, go, go. And you, because you were commuting as well, mm. it was such a go, go, go. You almost don't have time to sit and think about it. And either that leads to a break, like a breaking point, mm. or something finally occurs. Was there a kind of realization moment for you in that journey that you can pinpoint? Yeah, I think <clears throat> so. I had lost my period like 18 months. It was sort of, I'm trying to think of when the point when I lost it, maybe like 20, um, 2018, it was probably like three or four months after I'd started like rapidly losing weight. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of just ignored it for a while. And then I think, cause I'd, I'd just put it in the, like, I don't have time to mm. deal with that basket. And then, as you said, like when you have, you reach a point where you, you just have to stop. And all of a sudden I was at home and I could go to the doctor. Like mm. I had time to go yeah. to the doctor. And that's when I started thinking like I really need to try and get my period back. And I went on the pill and like that's sort of, you know, I had all these other bad experiences with it where I just like couldn't get out of bed. I was so tired. Mm. And then I was talking to a friend, a close friend, Molly, who I'm very thankful for, who suggested I go and see this kinesiologist because she had helped a friend who hadn't had a period for a long time and at that point I hadn't had it for about 18 months or two years and um and she indirectly knew that Natasha operated as like a therapist Mm -hmm. and I think it gave her an opening to suggest that for me um knowing what I'd been through and how you know um how much I was probably struggling uh, without being able to understand it or um acknowledge it and then when I started seeing her that's when I started to understand Mm -hmm. like what was going on in my body was a result of my mental well-being yeah and I think that was really when I started to understand Mm. um yeah what was happening I find the exact same and I think we discussed it on our other episode that seeking help and needing help you have to be in the Mm. mind frame and open to it and that's so wonderful that Molly found a way for you to do that and I always think that whenever people come or people you know reach out for help you always have to consider okay what's the best approach for them or even if they're not aware but just talking about yourself saying oh I go to therapy just Mm. like planting that seed um 
But I think I do remember it so distinctly within your history that the minute you stopped commuting to Brisbane and was able to breathe and take a moment, I felt like a change in you that you were kind of coming around. Well, you had a moment to Mm. really reflect on yourself and deal with things. Because when you do go, 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 it's so easy to put things aside and say, it's not a problem. I'm busy. Like we have so many other external things we can blame. Mm. Do you want, um, if you're comfortable, because you have spoken about your eating disorder a Mm. little bit, did you want to kind of talk more about that experience and expand on it? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I have spoken about it a bit on the show, but probably not the full uh, full end-to-end kind of uh, story or journey. So I think, you know, it was since I was quite young, like maybe like 10 years old, I didn't have a great um, relationship with my body. Like mm-hmm. I had pretty poor um, uh, body image, like um, I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> I had a um, poor body perspective image, yeah. on, on my body image. And, um, and I remember I just wasn't one of those, and this is like a 10-year-old, like mm-hmm. I wasn't one of those kids that was like, the like a stick you know like I had a like a bit of lumps and bumps like I wasn't even chubby or anything but like just a kid I think yeah just a kid (laughs) just a normal body shape and like I was teased a bit for for my body and Mm. I still remember really distinctly like some things that people said to me and like it only came out it literally came up in therapy like a month ago and it took that long for me to realize like this has been there for like so long Mm. And I remember the exact words that someone had said to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and I think so it'd been, it'd been there for a while, um, my body image issues. But then during, like, high school I kind of shot up, like, um, grew and I was mm-hmm. fine. And, like, um, I think people used to think, like, I was too skinny, but I was, like, that was literally just my natural yeah. body shape. Like, I was just um, ate whatever I want and never thought about it. And I used to find it so strange how people would – not bring lunch to school mm. or like like I remember half my group never ate lunch or like would eat all their lunch at the beginning of the day <laughs> and then just sit there like looking at me as I ate my like spaghetti yeah, wow. sandwich and like I just couldn't understand it but then it wasn't like until uni where I started to I don't know <laughs> grow into my body like mm. mature and um have different lifestyle like probably like drinking and <laughs> um becoming more womanly that I started to really um, watch my weight and to notice it changing and and I didn't like the change. Yeah. And I think then it became the struggle of like always trying to get back to what I had been like pre-18. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was, I didn't have a, I didn't have an eating disorder then, but I, I remember dieting, like trying to cut back on carbs and like trying everything yeah. to, like <laughs> what about the change scared you do you think or think, that you didn't like yeah I think I didn't like I didn't think I was beautiful anymore like I just thought that not that I even thought I was beautiful at the time that I was reflecting <laughs> on but all of a sudden I was looking back on that being like oh like, I actually used to be like really skinny and I think mm-hmm. people the, the conversation like um the social conversation like social media yeah. was like I started to understand that was like desirable and mm-hmm. like I didn't feel like that you matched whatever that yeah matched that look anymore look and I think I also think college 
even yeah. personally, just a new environment, new people. And we didn't know anyone. And so you can't help but compare yourself to other people, even if you're, you know, friends with everyone and you love them all. Yeah. But it's you have to kind of redefine who you are to these new people and in turn, I guess, redefine yourself to who you are. And not even that you have to go through a big change, but it is a yeah. I think us going to uni and college, and especially because we moved away, it was such a big time and it was hard but it was also great for so many reasons because of this that we had to really work out who we were Mm. and I guess that in turn could also include how we feel about our bodies yeah I think you're right like being in sort of a college environment that just like all kind of becomes amplified but I was pretty like I think I was it didn't seem like it was affecting me a lot Mm. but then I went on exchange and I came back and um and I gained a lot of weight, like traveling, like mm. having a really good time, enjoying myself, <laughs> like eating a crepe a day, you know, as yeah. I should. And I should <laughs> feel like I can do that. Um, and then I like, I remember I just, I got back and I remember I was going to like a school reunion. And I remember feeling like people are going to like think that I'm like, I've let myself go, that mm. I've just like gained all this weight after like five, like a five year reunion yeah. or whatever. And then that's when I started like, really dieting and it just started off like a healthy I think I'd gained I wasn't fitting into my clothes so mm-hmm. I was like I need to just fit into my clothes before yeah. the change and then um and then I started like walking every day and I like got into running and like I was um getting compliments on how I looked and so I was thinking like this is great like I feel great I feel um more and by by I feel great like it's like definitely attributed to like how I think people perceive me yeah. rather than like how I actually feel inside. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of took, yeah, I guess took a more um, serious turn when I was just like got really obsessed with counting calories and yeah. putting in like how much exercise I did and the calories I burnt and trying to work out like what I could eat during that day. And then if I'd like gone to, I don't know, like a dinner um, Barrio or something like a big like eating pasta and everything then I like started making myself sick yeah and that was like I don't know I think I just didn't really think about how bad that was at the time I think I just thought I'm not actually like bullying it because I'm not doing this all the time yeah. this is just when I overeat like mm. when I go out or something and you know it was um then yeah I would do it every time like I had a big meal which just became my life and like then I would just restrict and um you know eat like really tiny meals and um then these big meals and like I yeah I mean I I don't even think I've had that much love for my body then Mm -hmm. but it just like I um it sounds so bad but like liked looking more like what I used to look like and thought that that was um, going to be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, during that time, I think I was just like so stressed and like putting out like, like you don't give off a good energy when you're no. feeling like that. Okay. And, um, and then it kind of, you know, when I started working, <clears throat> that's when my body just started like giving up because mm. as I said, I was in management consulting and those hours aren't easy and travel mm-hmm isn't easy on the body either but living without any fuel like and then you go into that kind of environment like 
that's when my body started to like really um, start giving me signals that mm. things weren't okay. But it took me a long time to um, to interpret the signals and yeah. to realise that like I need to do something about it. Well, thank you for sharing all that. <laughs> so. I, I totally hear so much of what you're saying within even my own journey. It's that, mm. I don't know, it's such a slippery slope where it becomes you know, you're feeling good. And then it's when it flips into the obsession mm. that I think is where it becomes a real issue. And when it starts to impact your life elsewhere. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's hot. It's sad for me that obviously it's sad, but just that a story resonates with so many people that I know mm. about that. And I think one of the things that I was saying to you that I wanted to chat about was kind of the language that we have around our bodies. And I think it's so hard at the moment because we've got one side, which is this really loud, toxic diet culture, which is shifting, but especially with Instagram and whatnot, you know, we have this whole thing and delusion of what was beautiful. And that's Mm. definitely changing, which is awesome to see, but I think it's still very much an issue. And I remember you've been telling me how there was a study done and Instagram was seen as mm. the most affecting on mental health because it's a whole longing culture of what you don't have and what you want. Mm. But and then I some body image. Exactly. Yeah. And then I think that on the other side, we don't know how to healthily talk about our bodies. And I think even within ourselves, but with other people, there's just, I don't know, this deafening silence of we don't know how to congratulate someone for losing some weight or you know if that's their goal and they're doing it healthily and they feel strong then amazing and I think it's when it becomes because there's a turning point they say that eating disorders are these secondary mental health disorders so it starts with some weight loss starts with some compliments starts with feeling a little bit you know skinnier and looking a certain way whatever it is and then it becomes a bit of an obsession and starts to impact the rest of your life that you you know, restrict or you wear yourself or you don't go out and alter Mm. your life accordingly. But I find, and I've found previously, even when some people comment on even my own weight, there's always just this tone with it of like, oh, you're looking a bit skinny. Or Mm. I kind of said to you before how, you know, last year with COVID, I was like, I'm going to try to get strong. And I found it such a good year because I wasn't doing intense working out. I was walking, I was doing yoga. I was, you know, doing strength training. I was like, wow, my body's responding to not being so heavily like impacted, like Mm. taking a more leisurely approach. And I was like, that's so cool. And it was really insightful. And I, you know, in my head, I was like, this is really good learning. And then I went into work one day and a colleague kind of commented, oh, you're looking a bit thin. Like you look fit. But then immediately went and said, oh, have you been sick? And I just thought that was such a weird thing mm. to say. And I think if you have a history and someone does, you know, unfortunately, probably most people do have a history, we have to somehow work out how to speak about people's bodies in a healthier way. I don't know if yeah. you've experienced that, but it's just, yeah, I think the language that we have, I don't have the answer for it, but mm. it needs shifting so that it doesn't exist with all these extremes. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think it's, so challenging being someone when uh, that's spoken to you, but also mm. trying to interact with others and mm. like to make them feel good. Yeah. Um, like, oh, I don't know. 
I mean, do we even need to comment on yeah, it? It's exactly. like, I think that's sort of my immediate reaction. You know, we have this obsession with, especially in like female, like culture, social circles, mm-hmm. like speaking about diets, whether like my pet, I used to be like, we'd all go out for a nice meal and people would be like, oh, I'm so full. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, like, we just ate. Like, we're also going to be full. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's always just like feeling guilty for eating or mm-hmm. like, um, commentary on I feel like fat in this outfit and like mm. it just normalizes it that like I feel like some of us sometimes I just would even say it even if I don't feel it because all of a sudden I just like feel self-conscious because I'm like totally. well these jeans are actually quite tight on me too like you know <laughs> totally. and it's just like we need to stop focusing on it mm. and like you know when a guy like works out a bit more like I don't know totally. goes like gains a couple of pounds like do we comment Mm. on that Mm. I think it's just yeah I don't know what what we need to do to replace it but like it needs to yeah it needs to stop and I think it's like this whole social cultural change that needs to happen and like with you know Instagram kind of perpetuates it this um diet culture and sort of uh promoting these body types that probably like 0.5% of the population have that you think are normal Mm. but when you walk down to the supermarket like you don't see one person who looks like that than what you see on on your Instagram feed um but yeah I mean I still find that difficult like people yes I mean and that's part of that was part of my fear when I gained a lot of weight that people would say oh he's like Mm. white I think maybe almost, almost it should be like lack less of a commentary and more of an asking the person well how are you like how yeah. do you feel if they've you know if they want to talk about it bring it up obviously if mm. you are worried there are steps to go through that yeah. you can absolutely discuss it and talk about it and recognize it but I think before it gets to that if someone's you know I think it's just more asking people how they are as you would with mental health anyway you're never going to tell someone like you're sad today or you yeah. you know a similar way of you've lost a bit of weight it's just like how are you feeling today mm. how do you feel about your body let's discuss it in that way maybe is yeah I like that but also that just makes me think like part of what we need to to enable those kind of conversations to take place is for more of us for more people to feel comfortable to say that they're not feeling great yeah and to help them figure out or open up and, mm. and sort of discover what's going on mm. and I think you know probably people are like are you eating okay like mm. when I'm doing it but then when people ask kind of accusatory questions like that yeah when you're struggling and you're not yeah. ready to um sort of acknowledge it mm. it kind of automatically turn turns you on the defense yeah and then totally. that makes it like not a constructive conversation totally. I agree I like that kind of sentiment I'm even how everyone's opening up more about mental health, open up about your body health, if that's a phrase. Mm, yeah. You know, talk to your friends about it. And I think because the secrecy also becomes where I know, like, for me personally, there was a lot of secrecy during my kind of journey of mm. sneaking in when my parents were in the shower so that I could steal the weight scale and put it back with no one noticing. Like, mm-hmm. just different things. I think the secrecy and silence is the issue. So I really like mm. that kind of sentiment of we should discuss it as much as mental health in a way because mm. that will be hand yeah. to hand um I guess that kind of leads I guess to our similar next questions of 
how your eating disorder affected your mental health and then eventually leading to how you got the support that you Mm. needed yeah well I think I've it had a great impact like not a great sorry a big impact (laughs) (laughs) start again start again Uh, it had a big big impact on on my mental health not not in a not in a good way um but I wasn't aware of that until I started um getting getting support professional support Mm -hmm. but in ways that it sort of manifested that I knew that something was sort of going on, but I was attributing it to like a high stress job was like, I started to feel anxious and have these moments where like, like I would start like almost crying in Mm. the office and like need to go to the Mm. bathroom and like hyperventilate and like cry and call my mom and my poor mom would pick up the phone, like I'm just in tears in the middle of the work day. Mm. And she would have like no idea what to do. Cause like, she's so far away and like she doesn't know what's going on like and I'm just sitting in the bathroom at my client office crying shout out out to parents (laughs) (laughs) I used to do the same for mom and dad oh no mom and I actually I think we started the um tradition of like I had to text her to give her a pre-warning of like I'm not okay Mm -hmm. but I need to talk so she could like mentally prepare herself for the call which like you know because you just assume the worst when someone calls you um bawling their eyes out especially that you're trialed absolutely yeah um but yeah I was just like in a hyper state of stress and like um anxious about my work performance um a, a lot I think I like um sort of attributed it the anxiety to that at the time but like it was obviously just um and I sort of later learned when I had therapy like when you put your body in that like um, state of stress because you're not getting enough food like mm-hmm. that's when like it's it's just under a constant state of stress yeah. and so anything will trigger you and like yeah. that's when it can become really difficult um but yeah so when I how I sort of got to um get support I sort of spoke spoke about that earlier but I just noticed it when I um first started seeing her and we didn't even talk about my eating or anything like that it was really to try and get my period back Mm -hmm. and she was the one who sort of made the um, link between absence of period and high stress Mm -hmm. so then we started trying to unpack what was causing the high stress and I was attributing it to my job Mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't ready to acknowledge that it was um, my body but yeah it was a um, that's when I really had to kind of uh, work on my anxiety and like I think you know, I, it was a lot of suppression of feeling that I'd done since like my parents divorced when I was 13, that it was such a new thing for me to like get in touch with my body and like what was going on and understand how I felt about things. Like I was just so in my head that like when, um, yeah, when the eating disorder came up and when I started feeling really anxious, I had no way of like reconnecting to like what was real and like what I felt um so that was sort of yeah the start of um my journey of like getting therapy to help with um managing my anxiety and um and yeah I mean it's been almost two years I was thinking about it so I started seeing her in March of 2019 Mm -hmm. when COVID (laughs) Actually, it was May, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the end months. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
I've just learned so much about the importance of mental health Mm -hmm. and the relation between mental and physical health that like I I'm almost sort of thankful for the like for the experience and where Mm -hmm. I am now because I just it was a it was a breaking point that like I was going to reach eventually because you can't just hide from your feelings your whole life Mm -hmm. and like I had just learned since I was like when I was 13 my parents tried to make me go to a therapist when I when they split up and I was just like my um the strategy that I um decided was that was going to get me through it was like not ever feeling again and like I was just (laughs) pretty rude to the um Mm. therapist that I saw and like ran out of there didn't tell her anything um but yeah I was gonna catch up with me one way or another Mm. um and so I'm glad that I'm moved past that (laughs) that stage not to say it's like flicking a switch and I'm not an anxious person anymore and I don't have body issues sometimes um but yeah it's definitely step in the right direction we think yeah like kind of as we've discussed previously until you have maybe the awareness or language or acknowledgement it's hard to not just default to coping mechanisms and a Mm. lot of the time that's suppression or blaming external factors rather than looking inwards because one it's so scary to do so Mm. to actually think how am I actually feeling is it me that needs to change and often I think unless you're grown up in an environment where you are provided with that language and encouragement which you know as we were just discussing about it's hard to do that because we have a society that doesn't know how to especially and you go to school and you go to college where it's all perpetuated it's often through experiences that you learn. And I think it's really amazing that you've come out on the other side and you can't, I think we forget to congratulate ourselves about mm-hmm. going through that. And I think it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that your language and feeling about your body is today? Hmm. It's definitely a lot better, mm-hmm. but I am still not, in love with my body mm-hmm. I still am quite hard on myself I think I've reached a point where I accepted it and I was like this is healthy for me and mm-hmm. I feel a lot better like I used to try on like 10 outfits before I left and like thought I looked fat and every single one of them like wouldn't go out yeah. no idea like that and I eat a very healthy diet I feel good about it but there's still like I think it's something that I I'm still working on and I think it's partially body dysmorphia like sometimes I catch myself and I actually I'm fine mm-hmm. and then if I see myself in a different light then I'm it, like kind of lose that mm-hmm. but one thing and this is how I know that I'm not quite there yet um and it was like a month ago I saw my therapist and she it was sort of I was almost going to cancel the session because I didn't think I had much to talk about yeah and it's almost like because I didn't have all these like surface level things that were like fires to put out we got to a really deep level and she was that was when we kind of realized that this like body issues had stemmed or been there for a very very long time Mm. since I was a kid and um and I was not ready to let go of Mm. having that kind of relationship with my body where I I was so negative about it 
and you know she was saying like why like what if you just didn't look in the mirror one day for a whole day yeah and I was like that's not possible <laughs> like, there are mirrors all over my house it's just like why don't you cover the mirrors and mm. then I because so the way she works like she's a kinesiologist so she'll hold like tension points I think she was like holding my toes and I was like recoiling away yeah. from her just the idea of having to to break that um mm. break through that to actually be able to not have to be validate myself yeah. or to like have that conversation with myself in the mm-hmm. mirror of like you look good you look good today or like yeah. you don't look good today what's yeah. going on yeah um because I wasn't ready to to let go of that and I think it's something that yeah still like working on totally. and when I get to that I'm gonna feel great I know <laughs> <laughs> um I totally agree yeah. I think these things are the eating disorders and our relationship with our body starts at such a young mm. age, even if we're not aware of it yet. And so, it's, as you said, it's not a flicking of switch. It's not one day we're just going to wake up and be like, great. I'm amazing. That, all those <laughs> thoughts completely gone. Yeah. And I think breaking those habits speaks a lot to something that I've done this year, which, so for the past greater part of 13 years, I've probably weighed myself every single day some days multiple times a day and I remember I listened to this podcast with Jamila Jamil and she was discussing her eating disorder um, journey and made a comment of how dare I let a number dictate my day and my mood and it really resonated with me but at the time was not I recoiled I was like I'm not (laughs) I'm not doing that Um, really love that sentiment absolutely agree but I'm not there yet and then this year I don't know I think after you know you kind of I think with things you have to sit on it a bit and build it up Mm. especially for something you've been doing for so long and I was moving into a new place and I made a decision of one of my 2022 goals was to weigh myself less and then I started telling people that and I was really nervous too Mm. but I think with the act of putting it out into the world and kind of having that accountability it was great and friends were like that's amazing so supportive um, Zara who I've moved in with so supportive um, and so, like luckily we're so on the same journey of so many things so I decided not to bring my scales to my new house and obviously without the scales I can't weigh myself so that's very helpful to kind of remove it but it's been so interesting realizing the body dysmorphia that I had which was that a number dictated how I felt about my body and how my what my mood was for the day for so long and now I'm kind of I I don't know I feel like awkward sometimes where I'm like having to relearn how to see myself but also how I feel about myself and retraining I guess to actually listen to how I feel and be like oh like you're I don't know it's I'm still going through it because it's you know February (laughs) but like it's just been so interesting, those things that you hold on to. And I don't know what the breaking point is that you decide to change it, but then having to reframe mm. everything in your mind. It's been really interesting, I've found. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's like finally someone says it in one way and it gets through to you. Mm. Like I think for me the sort of the turning point was when my therapist said, like, think about all the energy you're using worrying about this totally. and how much better spent that could be totally 
And like, I think about my life now, like there's no way I could be running, like, crack that coconut mm. on the side of a full-time job if I was obsessing over exercise my weight the way that yeah. I was. Like I wouldn't have the mental energy for it. Yeah, and the caloric like, energy yeah. coming in. <laughs> yeah, that too. But it's just um, to be freed from that mm. is like, I have so much more energy and brain totally. power now for so totally. many more exciting things than worrying about how I look. Totally. And yeah, I used to weigh myself every morning. And then, yeah, I think it was when I moved, I just stopped weighing myself. Yeah. yeah. It helps with having kind of life changes. Yeah. yeah. You actually have to just remove the physical and maybe the mirrors. That's true. You know, well, she said you can just up. put yeah. covers on them. But, it is. You know, it's so interesting. Um, I guess to continue, what kind of tools are you using or still using today to support your mental health and your journey? You know, as we said, it's not a switch. So yeah, yeah, no. Uh, therapy is is a big one. I still see my kinesiologist once a month mm-hmm. or like every five weeks, and that really that really helps. And as I said, even when I don't feel like I need to, going to a session gets to these deeper levels of totally. um, my mental well-being that like I probably wouldn't be able to get to on another another day I find meditation really really helpful um I did yeah meditation course last year and I'm not in a very rigid uh routine (laughs) of doing it but I know that when I I start reacting to things or um I can feel stress in my body now Mm -hmm. so when I see that then I know I need to sort of um prioritize five ten minutes just to sit and do nothing so I find that really helpful and journaling when when I'm trying to figure out like why because I'm still I'm still learning how to understand and interpret my emotions Mm. and so usually what happens is like I just get really tired Mm. and then I have to inquire (laughs) why am I so tired you know like I haven't I had a good night's sleep, you know, I've been like eating well, exercising. And then when I start to inquire about like, oh, it might be this thing with work or I'm stressed about this. And then when you start putting words to paper, I find it helps me identify what's going on. And then once I do that, I can move through it because Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing when you don't know why you feel a certain way to sort of get through that. And yeah, I think talking about it, like even just crack that coconut has been a really, really great tool for me personally, like just speaking to people, like with every episode, I feel more comfortable about opening up about my experience. Mm -hmm. Like since the episode with Zara, where we wouldn't even say the word eating disorder, we were just like referring to the challenges that we'd had. So I think that's given me a lot of confidence and also just hearing people's stories, hearing people be so vulnerable and open, um, hearing so many people with the same story or like a similar journey to mine, Mm. just realising how prevalent this is and how much of a shared experience this is for so many people. It has given me, it's always like igniting this, like we need to do more about it, like Mm. we need to talk about this more because like it was just it was really tough going through that all alone and feeling like I couldn't speak to anyone and I think friends and family are are so critical like to have a support network who you can can talk to and I think yet to what you said earlier about 
creating a space for, for someone to open up, like having knowing that someone's gone through a similar issue creates that space. Mm. And like Zara was the first person I spoke to about my eating. And I remember it was like, we all went down to Melbourne. Mm. And um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we all went down and it was would have been like just before COVID hit yeah. kind of thing. And I remember saying to her, like, I think I have an issue. And she was just so good. Just like, talk to me, like, yeah. what's going on? And then uh, she just didn't judge me. She was there for me. And like, she just said, um, and I was asking her, like, what? Like, what did you do? Because I'd seen her come through it. Yeah. And, like, I know she's still working on it like we all are, but she just had this amazing transformation and she was so confident. And I was looking at her and I was like, I want to feel like that again because mm-hmm. I just lost this, like, confidence and joy for life in my body because I was so exhausted oh, and yeah. just, like... Um, Surviving. 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 Yeah, when you're not eating enough, it goes into survival mode. You have to yeah. do the bare minimum. Yeah, exactly. And she she was one of like, well, I started getting help and seeing a therapist. And I think at that point I wasn't like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna book in. Yeah. But it, it did start this it planted the seed. Yeah. That like the ball roller. Oh yeah. Over time eventually it was like, mm-hmm. and then when COVID happened and I actually had time and then Molly said, hey, like, why don't you go and, mm. like, just let's fix your period at yeah. the starting point. And then, yeah, it's um, it's been a very, very valuable tool ever since. But, mm. yeah, I know therapy is not accessible to everyone. Mm. I think, like, I've just come to put that um, cost into my budget, my living budget, yeah. like my expenses. But, you know, it's not easily accessible um mm. it's not widely accessible and I think yeah there needs to be more more conversations that can happen and, mm. and I think it's a big challenge because it's not enough psychologists to mm. support the amount of mental health it's almost making me think that on. like some sort of body language or education curriculum should occur within like in school school yeah well that's like something that I've thought about a lot is like what do you have to reach this breaking point to, mm. to understand mental health and to recognise you need to, yeah. like, look after it? Like, what if you could do something, like, mm. educate um, Well, Because even kids? just understanding what things are, because, you know, yeah. I remember as I even, I think, you know, as even you said, you didn't feel anxious or have an emotional language. So how can you then describe it to someone if you don't know what it is or how to, speak about it properly so if it's something that could be within a curriculum then I think it would be so beneficial as a starting point because often these things as we've just discussed start off without you even realizing the little comments that stick with you forever or you know and I have a similar like when you said that I have a similar like so many different things pop up where I'm Mm. like I've held on to that for years yeah and then it slowly builds on top of each other um yeah it's yeah it's interesting I think like having the language but then also I think you might have said this in your episode like knowing what tools to go Mm. to when something does happen yeah because that like you don't know where to start if you don't and you don't Mm. even know what you're experiencing um and it's always the thing if you put you know 
the literally if you put the energy into it you get the energy out of Hmm. talking about it or seeing a therapist or you get more energized because you I don't know the knowledge I think also giving the I'm trying to meditate more as well myself Mm -hmm. and don't do it as regularly but I think as you said it you know it's also giving yourself a break of if you didn't you know as your kinesiologist said if you didn't spend so much time thinking about that think about all the other things you could think about Mm. or do and that that often conversation happens within my own head where it's also another level of inquiry of why do I care about that Mm. or is this really what I think other people are going to think and I think also the awareness that everyone else is in their own head is really helpful because so many times you're standing in your mirror being like oh I look gross or I feel gross and blah blah and you're like actually probably no one else is gonna notice or care yeah and I shouldn't be so hard on myself there should be a kindness and I can have fun and do other things and obviously you will have down days that's what it is Mm. um yeah, it just reminds me, I remember there was like, I can't remember what it was, maybe a meme or something that said like, why do you bother feeling anxious like like when you're hungover when everyone else is feeling mm. the exact same about their own feeling, totally. like their own nights? I feel like, like that. we're all just like worried about what's <laughs> happening to us, but no one's thinking about what's oh my God, what totally. you did. I was having this conversation like last week with a friend and I think college also taught us that of we were all feeling <laughs> anxious about what we did the night before and then you realize everyone is sitting in their room thinking the same thing <laughs> it's so crazy yeah. um in terms of we just discussed curriculum I guess but do you think there are other things in your mind or from your journey of what we can do to kind of reduce the prevalence of eating disorders yeah, it's a, it's a big one. I do think that social media is like a big it's a big mm. problem and I think the way that the way that we use it and consume it, I think it is sort of changing, but I think that's a really powerful tool to like give people back their like the content they want to see mm. and like to have more normal <laughs> things on the feed than mm. just like one body type. So I think, yeah, I just think the growing up with Instagram, um, it's caused so many body issues for like mm. almost all, like almost every woman I know mm. has had some bad relationship with food in yeah. like one shape or form or like been exposed to it. Um, so I think that's a big one. I've heard when something I've seen or heard is that TikTok though, people have mm. found that it's actually been really helpful of seeing other like there were a lot of studies that showed a lot of people realized you know that they were gay and came out as a result or found like their own little communities within it and are seeing other people's I think there is a really good turn happening where you are seeing a lot more bodies on Instagram and something that I even think about now is Mm. who do I follow like you know as we were saying those why put the blockades in front of you if someone's posting something it's realizing I actually don't need to see this or yeah. have this. I yeah, have I just haven't followed yeah. people now if it's like their photos are too much. Yeah. But yeah, I think like TikTok, and I remember that same study that I think Facebook had did, mm. was maybe we spoke about, but TikTok and Snapchat don't affect teen mental health as much because they're more about creators and mm. like humor and um, less about lifestyle and body yeah. image. And yeah. um, 
yeah, I think maybe that's why there's new pla- like part actually why people love these new platforms because mm. they feel good when they consume it rather yeah. than um, Instagram. I did say, yeah. I don't know if it's happened, but Instagram made it. Oh, you, I think I have seen it that you have to show if you've made a post with an effect, which oh, I thought was no. quite interesting. It's that come is, up, it yeah. says like made with this effect. Oh my and God. so it's kind of highlighting. That's good. Yeah, it's a spectacle. <laughs> this is yeah. not. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, well, that's a big one. I do think there's a big, it's just like a, a social change and it's mm. happening, but it's like the more we talk about it, the more we um, have know how to have better conversations about bodies. Yeah. I think the better it'll the better it'll be. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's even something my therapist said. It was the last episode. Like eighty percent of her female clients have had an eating mm. disorder or an issue with eating. Yeah, I'm most of my friends. Yeah, majority, sadly. If you speaking of kind of conversations, languages, if you could go back to your fifteen year old self, mm. is there something that you would say or a conversation you'd want to have? yeah definitely <laughs> a lot of things I'd tell her uh I think stop trying to be something for everyone else mm-hmm. like you're not gonna please everyone and like no one's thinking about you like what you need to do is figure out what what feels good for you and um just enjoy your life like don't get so hung up on you know, thinking you have to do a certain job or look a certain way, like figure out what what you want to do, what, what makes you feel good mm. and just like follow that. I think that's what I try and tell myself now because it's not too late. <laughs> Definitely not too many late. Good years <laughs> <in me. laughs> I think that's sound advice. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's a perfect Way to wrap up. Lesson to wrap up. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show again and interviewing me. No, thank you for inviting me and being so open. Oh, love you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. I wanted to thank you for your continued support by listening to Crack That Coconut. And if you like the episodes, then please subscribe or leave a review. Um, Every little bit counts. Uh, Crack That Coconut is also on Instagram at Crack That Coconut, where you can see uh, quotes on the episode, upcoming episodes, and also uh, check out our conversational card game. So that's available via our website, which is at www.crackthatcoconut.com. And the game is really designed to crack open more meaningful conversations between family and friends. So you, if you're inspired by the episode, um, check out the card game. It could be fun for you to try, try at home. So thanks and see you next time.